Hello, hello everyone in this room and online at any of our campuses. If we've never met before, my name is Adam and I, uh, good morning, good morning. Uh, good to see all of you. And today we're continuing where the Dr. Reverend Scott Palmbush left off last week. And you may have a hard time telling us apart because of the similarities of our stature. I know uh, Scott played football for Stanford And in a similar way, I play football. Uh, I try not to make this a really big deal, but I play fantasy football. (laughs) That's right, for the internet. Uh, Yeah, let's not make it a big deal, but I just felt like you guys should know. Uh, We've been in the book of Colossians for a while now. In our entire church, we're we're, uh, highlighting the spiritual practice of Bible study. And I want to give a quick plug, if you haven't yet, uh, to go to minlochurch slash Colossians, and there you can utilize all of the Bible study resources we have prepared for you. This week, we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, so you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, But last week, we discussed living into our new identity with Christ, and we're going to go into uh, even more uh, practical things today. Here's the core text from Paul, for you have died in your life is hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly. So for the next two weeks, we're going to look at two concepts, the false self and the true self. We take off the false self, the old self, the earthly self, and we put on the true self, the new self or the heavenly self. Now, eight years ago, when I moved to California, I drove my friend Paul and my dog Hurley, and none of us had seen the Grand Canyon before. Now, remember, I'm from Oklahoma. We don't get out a lot, so that's uh, why. So we wanted to check it out, make a stop on our, on our way there. And we got to Arizona. We woke up, and we drove down a road that led to a canyon, but we noticed uh, there weren't a lot of people there. It was only us. The canyon looked beautiful, but I got to be honest, it didn't quite live up to all the hype that people had given it. Uh, But still, we took some photos, we enjoyed the scenery, and we thought to ourselves, well, we did that, we checked it off our list. Now, we continued down this road, back to the highway, and then we noticed another road. And this road had a sign that curiously said, to Grand Canyon National Park. (laughs) That's weird, we thought. We already did the Grand Canyon. What could this be? Uh, We almost continued down this road to the highway, but at the last moment, we decided uh, to turn, uh, to make a turn this direction. This time, we pulled into the parking lot. There were tons of people there, and we followed these people to another canyon, and this time, our jaws dropped. There were no words uh, to describe this expansive, awe-inspiring work of God. So yes, you're hearing correctly. Originally, we had gone to the wrong Grand Canyon. Uh, Paul and I started calling it the fake Grand Canyon. Uh, It's not our fault. Remember, we're from Oklahoma. We don't get out a lot. So, uh, but I always wondered, like, what would have happened if we had not made that turn to the other road? We would have settled for something less. Instead of the expansive brilliance we would have experienced a false, a fake version that wasn't even close to the real thing. See, God has a vision 
for your life, a true self, a new identity that's meant to be filled with abundance and shalom and peace, a flourishing, expansive life. But so often we settle for something less. Today we want to talk about this reality. When we live out of the false self, you're settling for something less. This past week, I had a friend whose uh, 24-year-old brother took his own life. He had been, become overcome with his addictions and habits. And she talked about him in his younger years, his bright personality and potential. And this was not who he was meant to be. Uh, maybe you, yourself, maybe you find yourself exploding on others or reacting in ways that you know are off. And maybe you find yourself saying, that's not me. Maybe you or someone you know is stuck in a pattern of behaviors, actions, or thoughts that are slowly taking you down a path that you don't want, a path that's not flourishing. So when we live out of a false self, we are settling for something less. But there's good news. There's good news because that phrase is correct. That's not you. That's not the real you, the true you. Jesus wants to lead you to a life that's expansive, awe-inspiring, and flourishing. Jesus in the biz- is in the business of transformation. And it's not too late for any of us this morning. So let's look at the words in Colossians, Colossians 3 about laying down our false selves. We see this, put to death, therefore, whatever is in you that is earthly, Uh, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there's no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. That's a long passage. Uh, so let's, let's make some observations together. Uh, some of you right now might be observing this. This is just a list of rules. Just like I thought, Christianity is a set of uh, do's and don'ts that cause judgment and shame. And I get it. Sometimes Christians can overly focus on the sin and the shame. I heard a Christian musician Uh, talk about his Sunday school experience as a kid learning about sin. Uh, His teacher cooked brownies and and gave them to the kids, but as they ate, the kids realized that there were cotton balls baked in the brownies to represent the hidden power of sin. Another week, the kids came back, and they were given popcorn this time, uh, but there were pieces of paint in the popcorn, again, highlighting the deception of sin. Christians can get weird about sin, where it becomes the sole focus. That's not what Paul is doing here. 
In his letters, uh, in this letter and all of his letters, Paul doesn't start with sin or ethical standards of living. He starts with Christ. This is what we've been looking at the past weeks. The entire beginning of this letter is centered around Jesus, his supremacy, his forgiveness and redemption, the fullness that comes from living in him. Jesus is the focus. He is the center. And sometimes when we take a passage like this out of context, we we miss the point completely. So Paul says this word, therefore. Now, anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, we remember that it's there for a reason. Uh, Everything he is saying now is built on the previous statements and chapters. The reason we live differently is not to be holier than thou or focusing on sin or trying to be perfect or judge others. We die to these practices because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done uh, for us. Now, another way to think about it is this. We have been given a new identity, a new name. And these practices are examples of living out of our old name, our old identity, instead of our true identity. I want to watch this video together of of this son honoring his stepdad, and we see the power of a new name. Let's watch together. Hey, you know how much I love you, right? Yeah. And how I always, like, treasure the time I have with you. Yeah. Now you're my world. I got my last name changed. I'm now George Grimley Musto. Look at my jersey. At center, I love you so much, Dad. I love you. I'm okay. I'm okay. Father says, I'm okay. Uh, I've watched this video multiple times this week. I'm never okay after I watched that video. Why is this so moving and beautiful? His stepdad had always been there loving and supporting him all along. The changing of names was a living into the true reality that was already there. See, we are gods. He is our father. And we have taken on his name. That's our true identity. And we'll talk about living into this identity more next week. But for now, we see that Paul is not making a list of rules. He's actually talking about symptoms. Uh, I've had a vicious cold the past couple of weeks. I've been coughing and have a sore throat. And I've been generally making people uncomfortable to be around me. Uh, But these are just symptoms. I can try to ease my cough and my sore throat, but the reality is they are a result of a bigger issue, a virus. The symptoms don't go away until the virus does. Paul lists uh, lists symptoms of living from our false self. These are indicators of a deeper issue, of us not embracing our true name and identity. So what is the false self? The false self can be a catch-all phrase. Uh, We could call it the old self, the earthly self, or the flesh. And it represents how we try to live our lives apart from God. When we try to find fulfillment, acceptance, pleasure, and desires on our own, 
Think about the story of Adam and Eve. They, they had been named by God. He provides everything they need. And then in the very first case of sin, it's an attempt to live apart from him. A hope that they could be like God themselves and find wisdom and fulfillment without him. And this is the tragic story of humanity. Living in paradise, named, given an expansive, flourishing existence, but settling for a pomegranate or an apple, whichever fruit you prefer. Uh, Adam and Eve lived out of their false selves and they settled for something less. The author uh, David Binner says it like this. The false self is the tragic result of trying to steal something from God that we did not have to steal. Had we dared to trust God's goodness, we would have discovered that everything we could ever most deeply long for would be ours in God. Trying to gain more than the everything God offers, we end up with less than nothing. And Paul lists these symptoms of trying to live apart from God and settling for less. He mentions sexual acts. We try to fulfill our sexual desires beyond a covenantal, sacred marriage built on a lifetime commitment. We settle by using other sons and daughters of God as commodities or objects for our own pleasure. He mentions greed, which is the act of doing whatever I can to get what I want, not trusting God to provide Uh, trying to steal something that we didn't have to steal. He mentioned slander, abusive language, and lies. Are these not all ways of trying to manipulate and coerce others uh, with our own power apart from God? These are the symptoms of the false self. So some questions uh, for us all to think about. In what ways are you trusting in yourself instead of trusting in God's goodness and provision? Another question, can you, can you spot any symptoms in your life that can be traced back to living from the old, earthly, false self? Or how about this, in what ways are you settling for something less? See, Paul is urgent We need to cut off and lay down the parts that are keeping us from experiencing the full, expansive life Jesus has for us. So for the rest of our time, we're going to talk about how to lay down the false self and its symptoms. So the first thing uh, we do is to reveal. We reveal. As a teenager, I'll never forget sitting week after week in a church pew and I, I grew accustomed to feeling shame. Uh, every week the preacher would, would mention something that was wrong, that we shouldn't be doing, and instantly it was like someone cranked the thermostat, and my face turned red, and I gathered beads of sweat, and I just knew that everyone in the church was looking at me. And week after week, because of the shame, what do you think I did? I hid I refused to divulge anything about my patterns or behaviors. I became really good at hiding. After Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit, their instant uh, reaction was shame. Scripture says that they had been naked before God, meaning in their truest self, they were open and authentic with nothing to hide. But then in Genesis 3, we see this. 
The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. To feel shame and to hide, that's a human reaction, but it's not the path to healing and transformation. When we hide, our shame and our patterns of sin grow deeper and stronger. If we want to lay down the false self, it requires revealing our mistakes. We reveal and come out of hiding. Uh, Brene Brown, sort of the leading voice of shame and vulnerability, says, uh, what unravels connection? Shame. In order to let connection happen, we have to let ourselves be seen, really seen. To live in loving union with God, we have to go against our natural urges and reveal all of us, our issues, our habits, our desires, and baggage. We reveal to God, but also to others. Uh, Those of you who have been around Menlo for a while, we used to have a saying that we are the church of the open stain. This is a hotel not for saints, this is not a hotel for saints. Uh, It's a hospital for sinners. So we reveal our stains and our stuff in a trusted community. Shame is the way of the false self. Revealing is the way to truth. So we reveal and then we release. Uh, Now what usually happens when we become aware of our sin, uh, we clench our fist and we say, next time I'll be better. Today is the day I will stop doing this or I'll stop doing that. How often does that willpower approach work? Not a lot, not a lot. My daughter is uh, reading the Chronicles of Narnia books right now. I'm I'm proud dad. My personal favorite is The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder and she read it a couple of weeks ago. In the book, uh, there's a character named Eustace. And one of my favorite C.S. Lewis lines, he says, Uh, There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. (laughs) Uh, Eustace is kind of a brat. He's selfish and whiny, and he's hard to be around. At one point, Eustace greedily tries to take some treasure that wasn't his, and he turns into a dragon, uh, which is a representation of how he'd been acting and living. And at first, Eustace tries to peel off the scales by himself on his own power, but it isn't working. But then Aslan the lion leads him to a well to wash. And we see this from Eustace. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, uh, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and I let him do it. Transformation can't be achieved through our own willpower and strength. It comes from a release. We can't fix ourselves. We remember that it is Christ who raised us to a new life. The first steps, uh, two steps of Alcoholics Anonymous detail this reality of change. The first step is this, to admit that you are powerless, that your life is a train wreck. But the second step says this, it's to come to a belief that there is a power greater than yourself that can restore you. 
We are powerless, but there is one greater who has limitless power. So we reveal our stains and our stuff, and then we release. And then, ultimately, we repent. Repent is another word that comes with a lot of baggage. Uh, But at the core, repent simply means a turning, uh, turning from one direction uh, to another. In one of his most legendary stories, Jesus speaks of a son and a father. And the son leaves his loving union with his father, and he takes his inheritance, and he decides to live on his own apart from his father. And he squanders all of his inheritance, and eventually he finds himself kneeling to eat at a pig trough. And surrounded by pigs, he eats the scraps and the slop. And for a second, I want you to just imagine what this must have been like to be the son. It wasn't too long ago that he had had everything he needed from his father, and now here he is. Imagine the smells. This smells really bad, by the way. This is uh, scraps from my family's food from the past week. Uh, I know, that's the kind of thing I go through for you guys, right? <laughs> Imagine this son, uh, his birthright, who he was meant to be, but now he has settled for so much less. And in that moment, he, he has a choice. He can decide to continue to walk apart from his father and try to fulfill his own desires by himself, or he can turn back. He can change directions and go back. That's what he does. He repents and he turns and he finally begins walking the road back to his father. But because Christianity is all about rules and do's and don'ts and judgment and shame, we can expect the father uh, to heap on more shame and anger, right? Of course, the father doesn't do that. He disgraces himself in a way no respectable Jewish man would have done in those days. And he begins to sprint towards the son. And he runs to meet his son. And he doesn't stop there. He gives him a huge embrace. And he lifts him up. And he gives him a kiss, showing his extravagant love. But the son is still ashamed. He says this, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've lost my identity. I've dishonored your name. But what does the father say? How does the father respond? He says this, bring out the fattened calf. We're having a party. Now, I couldn't find any fattened calves at Costco this weekend. Uh, so this, this will have to do. This is a rack of beef ribs that I smoked for six hours over post oak wood with a secret barbecue sauce that I could tell you about, but I'd have to kill you. Uh, that's right. Uh, I don't want to brag. I've got some pictures here. These were delicious, delicious ribs. This was last night after I cooked it. See what I go through for you guys to make these illustrations? It's a feast. It's a feast. Again, let's imagine ourselves as the son here. The father has pulled out all the stops, and he's the honored guest. And imagine eating this delicious meal, and not too long ago, he was eating scraps and slop. He had been settling for so much less, but now back in loving union with the father, he feasts. 
on this brilliant mill. And this is the image for us, too. A plate of scraps or a delicious feast. So, my friends, because he has raised us to a new life, he's given us a new name and prepared a feast for us, may we die to our false selves. Because he's the father that runs and embraces and kisses, may we refuse to hide our shame and may we reveal our stains and our stuff with full vulnerability. Because he is the only one with the power to transform, may we admit our powerlessness and release our sins to him. And as sons and daughters of the king, may we refuse to settle for less and trust in his goodness. May we turn from the roads that lead us apart from Christ. and May we repent and return to a loving union with God. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray for... uh, my brothers and sisters in this room that are watching online. I pray for those uh, pieces of our life that we realize we're trying to do apart from you, that we're trying to live off our own power. Jesus, I pray that we would not uh, heap ourselves with shame, (laughs) but instead we would get a fresh glimpse of the vision you have for us, a vision built on grace and love you want the best for us. You want wholeness. You want us to flourish. You want us to be full in your kingdom. So would you help us to fall back in love for everything that you want for us and help us to see the patterns and the habits that are taking us away from that. So God, thank you for your grace. Thanks for looking upon us with love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.